Good afternoon, and welcome to Who's in the Kitchen. I'm Philothea Beeson, and you're listening to WDRT 91.9 FM, coming from Viroqua, Wisconsin. This is Community Radio, and we're coming from the Driftless area, southwestern Wisconsin. And uh, we have about a range of 25 to 30 miles, but then we are on the Internet, so you can go and listen to us. Streaming live, WDRT.org. Or you can listen to podcasts of previous shows. And we're always on at noon on Saturdays. And my guest today is Deb Arndt from the Old Oak Inn in Soldiers Grove, Wisconsin. Between, let's see, I guess between Reedstown and Gaze Mills on Highway 131. And uh, I've been wanting to interview Deb for a quite a long time. We've been talking about this. Uh, she and her husband bought the old Oak Inn, I think, about three years ago, but maybe not even that, just about that time? Three what, years on March 13th. Okay. And t- describe to us the old Oak Inn. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. We've been waiting for about two and a half years <laughs> to have this interview. Every time I eat there, I say, oh, I'm going to have you on the show. So anyway, yeah. this is fun. I'm glad we grabbed the opportunity. Perfect. <laughs> but she's got a busy schedule, so working working her in to radio interview was, was a little bit of, you know, scheduling, but we did it. But um, the old Oak Inn, I mean, it's kind of got an interesting history. People may drive by and say, oh, it's a beautiful old place. It certainly has. I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. I went there for a Lions meeting in 2015. Carolyn Hollis Roth owned it at the time, and Carol was happy to show me around, and I fell in love with the house. What's not to love about it? It's beautiful Victorian, and everything's original, practically. So, yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's quite an antique, and it's filled with antiques, and uh, it really has a wonderful feeling there. Well, um, do, were you from the area, or were you familiar with that uh, facility? No, not at all. Well, um, where are you from? I grew up in Milton and lived most of my adult life in Hillsborough, so I spent almost 30 years in Hillsborough, so I consider myself a driftless gal. Oh, good. Mm. Well, did you know the old Logan, or did Carol introduce you to it, or what? No, in 2015 was the first time I went there, mm-hmm. again for that Lions meeting, so... And then Howie and I went there, my husband and I went there for a couple of the First Friday events that they had. If you're not familiar with the First Friday event, every First Friday, we have wonderful musicians who come and play. And it's um, folk music and um, some Irish tunes and yeah, it's wonderful. So you're doing that now? Correct. But for a while, well, right after you bought it. The COVID shutdown happened, mm-hmm. and, and that was just killing restaurants and well, musicians. Exactly. And it was because of the First Friday Players that we ended up surviving through COVID. So Bill Mort had approached me asking if we would be willing to have the First Friday Players continue with the tradition of playing every First Friday of the month. And I was happy to do that, but of course, with social distancing, we weren't able to do it inside the Acorn Lounge like they had done in the past. So we were kind of looking around the facility, thinking, where could we possibly have this? And I thought, well, how about on the veranda? And that ended be ended up actually being the perfect answer to um, our survival, basically, because we were the only outdoor music venue for miles. And we had people coming from Prairie du Chien, from Madison, from even from the cities coming to here on the veranda. 
So we had wonderful musicians that played every uh, Saturday to begin with and then every Friday after that for the entire summer. So it was a dream come true. And for the public, too, to have some place to go that was safe. People brought their own chairs, even their own food if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And you provided food and drink, but it was all served outside. And I thought that was, yes, that mm -hmm. was a dream come true, because in a way, you got a real following mm -hmm. when you finally were able to open. You had people that knew and loved you and had your food and were ready to come. We bought the house on Friday, March 13th of 2020, and on March 17th is when the state shut everything down. And so for us, it was kind of a, um, a gut punch because we were brand new to any of this. We had never done anything like this before. And so, uh, yeah, we had put, put everything into it that we had, and our hearts and souls included. Oh, my goodness. Just sickening. So we actually, as terrible as COVID was, we had some silver linings to it. We, number one, have met some of the most amazing people. The musicians in this area are uh, a very unique and very special. Um, they're quite a community that we have learned to love. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've got kind of a fun story, if I may, you about sure musicians. Can. Okay, <laughs> so the first um, musicians that we had were the Iowans. And um, those are two yeah, young ladies. Yeah, uh, Christina Dahlhausen and Katie Fastbinder. <laughs> Thanks for your so, help. So <laughs> uh, I had a very hectic uh, Friday night fish fry, and my sister told me, take your apron off and get a drink of water. I need you to come outside. And uh, lo and behold, when I finally went outside, the whole lawn was full of people. There was kids playing. Uh, everyone was very, very, being very courteous. They were social distancing and um, being very respectful, wearing masks. But uh, everyone was so overjoyed to finally be in amongst the community. And yeah, it was very special. Well, what I didn't know at the time was that um, it was the first time that Katie and Christina had been able to play for like six months. And so um, Katie told me that the first time she or excuse me, Christina told me that the first time she um, got up on the stage and started playing, she got tears in her eyes. And I told her the same thing happened to me because I went outside and for the first time I realized we might be able to make a go of this because there was, you know, we were extremely busy and I was very pleased with everything that I was seeing at that time. Well, it was a lifeline for the musicians, too, because they couldn't play in any of their ordinary venues. And here they could come and play outside. And there was sound equipment, lighting. It was, you know, and it was lovely. I mean, it did bring tears to your eyes to see the kids could be there just frolicking around. It didn't really detract at all from the music. There was plenty of room. And uh, it was just delightful. And the fact that Bill Mort came through, because he really is a venue producer anyway, and he, he did a really good job of lining up the bands and getting, getting a schedule out, uh, passing the hat and making sure that everybody, you know, got some money for playing. Yeah, Bill yeah. was like her guardian angel, and I'm not taking that lightly. He, was, he basically helped save us because mm -hmm. being so new to the industry, 
I really, we really had no idea. And <laughs> he pulled it through for us, and he and Denise were wonderful. They gave up almost every single weekend that first summer for us, which is remarkable. And then uh, Jay Hoffman also stepped in to help as well. So Yes, yeah. another musician mm-hmm. and lover of music. Um, well, what made you do this? What were you doing before, and what, what made you buy an old inn? <laughs> I spent... Um, couple decades working at St. Joseph's in Hillsborough, Wisconsin, St. Joseph's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, we were in Soldier's Grove for the Driftless Heart Fair, my girlfriend and I. We were staying at the Roth House. And I had been talking about the Old Oak Inn for a couple of years at that point, and my girlfriend had never seen the house, the Old Oak. So uh, Carol was nice enough to take us up to the house and... I've told this story so many times, and every time I tell it, I get emotional because it was really Providence that brought us there. So we were looking around the house, and I just mentioned to Carol what I wouldn't give to own a house like this. It's been a lifelong dream of mine to have a and b And so she turned on her heels, and she said, you would make an excellent innkeeper, and if this is something that you think you and your husband would like to do, we'll give you a heck of a deal. Well, what I didn't know at the time was that Carol had two full offers on the on the table, but they were both buyers that she wasn't comfortable selling the house to because, like me, she loved the house. And so I went home and I told my husband about what she had uh, offered. And he always wanted to have a bar. I always wanted to have a B&B. And I told my husband, you know what, this is, this is something that we have to at least try because if I don't, I know I'll regret it the rest of my life. And so we crunched the numbers and went to the bank. And yeah, and the rest is history. So on Friday, March 13th, 2020, we signed for the Old Oak. Oh, my. That's a wonderful story. Thank you. So um, give us a little tour of, of the Old Oak. How, um, what facilities do you have for your guests? Well, for those who haven't been to the Old Oak, I would encourage you just to come and look. I'm happy to give tours of the house. It's so beautiful. It's a historic landmark in Soldier's Grove. It was born. (laughs) (laughs) I referred to her, the house is hers, so maybe it was born. (laughs) She she was built in 1900 by Ole Knudsen Hemley. He was an entrepreneur and a wealthy businessman in Soldier's Grove. Um, he married one of the darlings of Soldiers Grove, um, Betsy Peterson. She uh, was the sister to Atlee Peterson, who was also a wealthy businessman and um, father of the, t- of the village. So they built that beautiful house. They had three boys. They raised three boys there. Um, so the house is, uh, has six bedrooms that we rent out for the B&B. And there is a, an old pool house in the back that was turned into an event center. And we have wonderful dances there and oh, just you name it. Well, wedding fundraisers, yep. wedding receptions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a, it's a big facility. holds about 200 people. Um, we also have a big, beautiful deck that we like to have uh, music jams on. Um, the Acorn Lounge holds up to 40 people. So there's a horseshoe-shaped uh, bar. It's kind of unique in the Acorn Lounges. Um, lots of unique artwork. And um, there's a stage there that musicians come and play quite often, thankfully. 
We have open mic every Wednesday, and that is a special treat for anyone that hasn't been to that. Um, what are the hours also, of that? On Wednesday, uh, we open at 6 p.m., and they play typically until about 10. And you serve a dinner menu? Then? We do. We do. Okay. We serve. Um, my friend makes homemade sourdough pizzas, crusts, and so we serve um, sourdough pizzas and chicken wings with four different kinds of sauces. And um, on Friday, we have a fabulous fish fry. And then in the summertime, we are also open on Saturdays. I do an international cuisine once a month in the summertime. So last year, for instance, I started off with Italian and um, into Japanese, into into Cajun, into Indian, whatever whatever strikes my fancy at the time. I'm pretty well versed in lots of international cuisine, so I have a lot of fun with that. Well, I'd love to hear more about that. So, um, yes, the the when you say you have a bar, it's uh, it's really not like most of the bars you know, in little towns in Wisconsin. I mean, it's really in this gorgeous house in a lovely, open sort of style lounge with a lot of tables. And it's not just like people with their backs to the the incoming mm-hmm. guests. It's really, like you say, it's a horseshoe shape. It's it's very welcoming. It's, it's um, you know, open open to the public very much. Yeah, it, and, it is. It's... Um, it's more of an old-fashioned supper club. It was built mm-hmm. in the, I believe, in the 80s, and uh, the person at the time that built it um, had a really fantastic uh, supper club. So the entire first floor of the house was tables, and she served uh, throughout the house. And I, I don't want to serve that much, so we just have it now maintained down into the Acorn Lounge. And yeah, it's it's lovely. It's lovely. It's bright and cheery, mm-hmm. and yeah, I love it. I should mention too that um, the house itself we often use as an event center. So we've had lots of weddings in the house. It's know, perfect just, setting. Yeah, it's yes, very beautiful. It really is. Well, I'm talking to Deb Arndt, and she and her husband. Your husband's name is what? He prefers to be called Homer. Homer. Okay. Um, she and Homer bought the old Oak Inn just about three years ago in uh, Soldier's Grove. And so I'm just talking with her. I was just there recently for their new program, which is uh, breakfast Monday through Friday for the public. Because up till now, the breakfasts have just been for the B&B guests. So um, I said... Deb, we've got to get together and talk about the old Oak Inn. So I'm uh, coming to you from Verroca, Wisconsin, on WDRT Community Radio 91.9 FM, streaming live on the Internet at WDRT.org, where you can find podcasts of this and previous shows. So, um, Deb, what is involved in running a bed and breakfast? It seems like a huge job, especially, you know, this is a this is a big building. This is not just your home and a bedroom or something like that. When we first started, I was working a full-time job, oh my commuting gosh. 10 hours a week and doing this. Well, I was fortunate that I was able to retire <laughs> last June and able to dedicate myself entirely to running the B&B and 
Uh, my husband was taking care of the Acorn Lounge, and now I've taken on some of that responsibility. So, yeah, there is a lot to it, but being a business owner, anyone who has their own business knows, you know, you're willing to work 18-hour days versus the eight when I was working full-time. <laughs> yeah, it's happily, happily. But you get to live in the in the old okay. Yeah, in the state of Wisconsin, if you have a B&B, you have to live in the house, which is not a problem for me because... I love that house. Um, yeah, it's so beautiful and it's so cozy. Well, we were talking about uh, B&Bs, actual formal registered B&Bs, uh, compared to the Airbnb movement. And often in an Airbnb, you may not even meet the host. You may just come in and uh, there's no guarantee and there may not actually be breakfast, I don't know, or there might be something in the fridge. But but tell what kind of service you offer as a bed and breakfast well, I pride myself on the service that we do provide at the Old Oak. Um, I take calls versus online registration. And initially, I was um, really hyped up to take online reservations because that's the way of the world now. But what I found was uh, it's much easier to be able to get a sense of the guests that I'm going to be inviting to my home when I talk to them on the phone. And um, we do have a policy that we don't take small children as guests because there's a lot of antiques, there's no um, child safety locks or anything in the house. So it's um, quite common not to have young children in the house, even though I'm a grandma. Um, but I know that I can watch after them myself when they're at the house. So, um, yeah. It is so your process, home. It, it is, is your home. It and, is my home. And yep. that's part of the so, joy. Yeah. Um, an online travel agency, I have less control over that. And so uh, what we found out was getting telephone calls from people really was the best. We do take um, requests online as well at our, uh, excuse me, well, on our Facebook page and in our email as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we uh, are happy to take those reservations, and we're very flexible. I'm always home um, now that I'm retired, and so if somebody wants to check in early, I'm happy to accommodate them. Um, check-in time is usually 3, and then check-out time is 11. And in between that, we can, we can be hands-on, or if someone there is there for a wedding or a family reunion or whatever, it's very hands-off. And I might not see them very often, but uh, probably 50% of the time, our guests really like to be um, interactive with us. So I bet they do. We'll, That's We'll play cards and we'll maybe go um, sightseeing or, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I, I'm a people person through and through, and I enjoy that aspect very much. So then, um, yeah, and then we kind of decide amongst the guests, what time they'd like to have breakfast the next day. And um, I do a chef's table breakfast. So I uh, mix it up every day, where it's not the same thing that's being served every day. So if you were there for a week, you'd have something different every day. Um, Yeah, I have lots of specialties that I like to make. And um, yeah, I was just telling someone today that I've only had one guest who left the table hungry because the only thing she ate was cereal. And I didn't have cereal in the house. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I was talking to some friends who are vegan, and I said, I don't, I'm not sure what you would find at the Old Oak Inn or hardly any restaurant around here. And for breakfast, it's really a challenge to have a vegan breakfast besides cereal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that that is that's a challenge to meet all the dietary needs of people these days. Well, when someone calls <laughs> to make reservations, that's one of the things that I ask them is, do they have dietary restrictions right, or right. preferences? And for the most part, I can absolutely accommodate them. That's great. Yeah. That's absolutely great. Well, um, tell us uh, some of the kind of dishes that you make for your guests, um, if you you know for your bed and breakfast guests. Uh, what would you have out for well, we them were, for your breakfast buffet? We were just talking about um, people who are vegan. Well, I make a dish called North Oats Porridge, and that is wild rice, steel-cut oats, toasted pecans, and blueberries. And that's actually my signature dish. That's um, probably the most preferred dish that I make. And Wow. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually on our breakfast menu as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the restaurant. And then, oh, um, cinnamon brioche stuffed French toast is another. Um, I try to buy local produce and meat, uh, solar meats. We get right there in there. Soldier's mm-hmm. Grove. Mm-hmm. Yes. And. Right. Well, so the things that you have already had at your breakfast buffet, this is now kind of you're drawing on that same menu now for your breakfast program. 9 to 11 every, you know, Monday through Friday is open to the public. 7 to 11. 7 to 11. Sorry, excuse me. You're going to catch those early birds on their way to work. Well, that's great. And, you know, yeah, if you want to have coffee and stuff, you want to start before 9. We have one customer who comes in and she gets her scone of the day and gets a cup of coffee to go. Mm -hmm. I could picture myself going there (laughs) fairly regularly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, so are you having a good turnout? Yes, Happily, this is week four. Oh, and my goodness. Yeah, I, word of mouth is wonderful. We mm-hmm. appreciate everyone sharing the good news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are very happy with the response. Well, and my experience was sitting down at a table with a tablecloth and having a waiter. So it wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't even a buffet. It was to order from the menu, and you had a specialty of the day. So um, tell us more specifically what you make. Now, I, I know you make you make scones, but you also mm-hmm. had scones with some kind of gravy or sauce on them. We have, uh, I make um, sausage gravy and homemade buttermilk biscuits. That's part of my morning routine. I get up every morning 4 a.m. and make buttermilk biscuits from scratch, scones from scratch. Um, I've got um, homemade cinnamon rolls. Um, we have... Um, a farmer's breakfast, which is very popular. People like what they like. So we have uh, link sausage and bacon, um, home fries, and uh, eggs, however you want them. Um, We have a breakfast casserole with, again, sausage or bacon, potatoes and scrambled eggs, seasoned. Um, We have an international egg of the day. And that's been fun. I decided I was just recently on an extended trip abroad, and it occurred to me that um, wherever I went, there was always something wonderful made with eggs, and every country around the world has eggs. So (laughs) I thought it would be fun to explore that, and it's been really fun. 
And I know that you, Philothea, love the scotch eggs that I made. <laughs> I'd heard of them, and I'd, I'd even heard how they were made, but I didn't realize how really delicious they are. So describe what a scotch egg is. It's a, a boiled egg, and you take a breakfast sausage, and there's a technique that I use. I won't go into it, but you wrap the sausage around the egg, and then you do a triple wash where you put flour and then an egg wash and then panko, and then you can bake it or you can deep fry it. Well, we've got fryer, so I use the fryer. And um, it's deliciousness, believe me. It, it really is. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that isn't something that I could probably make at home, but I would, I would definitely mm-hmm. order that again. <laughs> yeah. So we serve it with fun. some uh, smoky barbecue bacon jam. Yeah, you like that, that too. That was very interesting, yeah. yeah. Right, a little sweet with mm-hmm. bacon bits in it. In Scotland, they serve it with um, mustard, typically, but mm-hmm. I thought that would be a nice addition. What are some of the other international egg dishes that you've Oh, I encountered? made uh, smoked Scottish salmon scrambled eggs. That was wonderful. That was popular. Um, Acapulco eggs we made yesterday. That's What's just that? A, that's just, it's just simple. It's just um, chilies, green chilies, and it's a baked egg. So basically, uh, you put the egg mixture in and bake it for five minutes, pull it out, put some um, sharp cheddar cheese, and bake it five more minutes, pull it out, and then serve it with a green onion and um, salsa on the side. So it's just a simple dish, and we own, yeah, it's um, affordable and, uh, yeah, simple. Right. I also noticed the prices seem to be, mod- you know, modest, mm-hmm. that people could think about going there more than once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we do, happily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what are some of the other offerings or things that inspired mm-hmm. you from abroad? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have my menu up, and right. I didn't bring a copy of it. Oh. Um, sorry. Let's see. Right. Well, what now? What's the difference between a scone and a biscuit? Scones are sweeter. Oh, okay. Yeah, typically, but you can have savory scones too. I made some cheddar bacon scones yesterday, and today I made pear scones with uh, chai glaze. Oh my goodness! Yeah, well, that sounds. Great. I've had. Uh, um, with a few exceptions, I've had a different flavored scone every day since we began. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's many, many different varieties that you can have. You can have round ones too, or pie—excuse sh- me, pie-shaped ones. Um, typically in England, they have round scones, and mm-hmm. they look more like a buttermilk biscuit. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do they both have milk in them, or was scones, they're, they're, scones don't have? Eggs, do they? Or biscuits don't have eggs either, do they? No, the biscuits, buttermilk biscuits, don't have eggs. But mm-hmm. scones quite frequently do. Mm-hmm. They're real moist and, yeah, and typically have some kind of something added to them to make them yummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that sounds great. I'm talking to Deb Arndt from the Old Oak Inn in Soldier's Grove. And uh, they have bed and breakfast with guests who stay there and also stay for breakfast and can stay for many days if they like um, where they have special events there and Wednesday evening they have um, live music kind of open mic 
Friday there's a fish fry. Friday there's a fish fry, and on the first Friday there's the first Friday players, first Friday of the month. Yep, we have lots of music events. Um, we hold lots of fun events, um, whether it's crafting or, um, yeah, lots of different fun mm-hmm. things going on mm-hmm. all the time. There's so much variety in the Driftless region, so many amazing things to do, and we're part of that, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Soldiers Grove is kind of a central central place. Yeah. Magic in the heart of the Grove. Right. That's what we are. That's our moniker. Oh, that's sweet. Well, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of your other international experience and some of the cooking that you've learned. Now, you said you've been in Japan, Mm -hmm. not just visiting, but actually had had some time. Correct. Spent some time there. Tell me about that. In the late 80s, uh, my first husband was stationed there, and I did not live on base. I lived out in town and managed to befriend some Japanese women who taught me how to cook lots of wonderful Japanese food. Um, Yeah, it was a wonderful experience for a young woman. I would encourage anyone who has that opportunity to take it. Mm -hmm. And so we do have Japanese cuisine evenings. I would have no idea what Japanese dishes would be like. Can you tell me? Well, the meal that I typically do uh, when I do the Japanese dinner as, um, there's a dish called tankatsu, and that is like a schnitzel with a Japanese twist. So it's um, pork that's pounded thin, and then I marinate it in sake, soy sauce, ginger, and then, again, it has the triple wash where you put the flour and then the egg and then the panko, and it's, just, it's fried, pan-fried. And then I make some egg rolls and uh, fried rice. I have kind of a cute story about the fried rice. I had a Japanese exchange student from Tokyo, and I lived in Okinawa, Japan. The first time I made that fried rice, she said, Mom, this isn't Japanese fried rice. (laughs) I said, I learned it from a Japanese person, but an Okinawan person. So she was more understanding then. And then, yeah, it was cute. But what is, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you do fried rice? Oh, well, that's such a a simple thing. Um, I do have a rice cooker, so I utilize that. And what kind of rice do you use? I use uh, Japanese medium, medium medium-sized rice. Where do you get that? Online? No, actually, I go down to Madison. There's an oriental food store that I like to frequent. And so then I just um, brown the vegetables or Saute. Saute, yeah. thank you. Saute the vegetables till they're almost done. And then so carrots and peppers and onions and garlic. And Do they then, ginger? Is there ginger in there? I don't no. put ginger in it. Okay. No. So the way I was taught was then to add the rice to that, to the vegetables, and then um, light soy sauce, and then just white pepper and salt to taste. And so it's very, very simple, but it's really good, delicious. Mm -hmm. And um, so then I typically do uh, Japanese salad, which is like Napa cabbage with Thousand Island dressing on top with some cucumbers. Oh, do you chop that fine or are Mm -hmm. they large leaves or how do you do that? No, I chop it kind of like coleslaw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not shredded, but chopped. Mm -hmm. And oh gosh. Yeah, and then we usually end up having like a matcha uh, cake 
for dessert with tropical fruit. And yeah, it's wonderful. Well, that sounds great. Now, you probably do some fish and seafood, too. I have done some tempura with shrimp. So how do you do that? Yeah. That is just um, it's a mixture of uh, it's just water and egg and cornstarch and rice flour. And you have to use ice cold water in order to get it nice and light and airy. And then you just batter the vegetables and batter the fish and put it in the fryer. Yeah, it's delicious. That makes a really light batter, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So what kind of vegetables work the best? Are there just... Yeah, uh, thin sweet potatoes, um, onion, and... You start um, with raw vegetables? Eggplant, yes, yep. Carrots, sweet potatoes. Yeah, those are typical Japanese vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then we also um, use uh, daikon as a a relish. I would have no idea how to do that. Yeah, you just grate the... Do you know what daikon is? Well, I just got a big radish. We were yeah. going to make some kimchi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I, mean, I would not have know how to do use that at all. Daikon, well, the way I was taught anyway, was just daikon shredded finely and then added to soy sauce. So then you just use it as a condiment. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So is that a is that hot or is no. It, no no it's just like a giant white radish. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, are there any other recipes that you'd like to share with us? Oh, no, I think you have make a famous lasagna, don't you? Oh, how yeah, could how you could not forget mention that? your lasagna? <laughs> I can officially say that it's world-renowned now. <laughs> well, After my trip abroad, I, I made it for all the families that I stayed with, and they all absolutely loved it. So, so what, it's Northern makes, Italian. what makes it especially good? Well, as a northern Italian-style lasagna, instead of using ricotta cheese, I use a bechamel. And instead of the ricotta or the cottage cheese, as some people make. So is that uh, sort of a white sauce? Or is it's that a white with, sauce, With absolutely. cheese in it or not? No. Nope. No, just nope. white sauce. And you just okay. layer it just like you do um, ordinarily with ricotta. Uh, it makes it super creamy and super yummy, and people really, really love it. Wow. Is there yeah. also tomato sauce in there? Yes. Yes. Yep. Spaghetti Bechamel sauce. and tomato sauce. Yeah, it's it's just uh-huh. mi- like lasagna. You use your spaghetti sauce and noodles meat. and meat sauce if you prefer. Mm-hmm. I have made it with um, vegetables. I made vegetarian lasagna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty versatile. Yeah. Can you always get that, or is that just on Saturdays? Or when can you get lasagna? It's uh, in the summertime. When we start uh, opening on Saturdays, I usually kick off the first month, which is going to be June this year, uh, with starting with Italian. And so I do uh, Italian dishes and focus that for the month on Saturdays. And of course, I have my Northern Italian style lasagna being served. A lot of events, I do the lasagna because pretty much everyone loves it. Um, I do cater to people who have gluten allergies. I'll buy gluten-free noodles if I know they're coming. I'm happy to do oh, that. Oh, great. And, yeah, and as I mentioned, I'll do vegetarian. Um, yeah. So 
that's that. Right. So you have a, in, in the kitchen. Who's in the kitchen with you? Well, right now, uh, I have Larry Waters and Randy Swiggum. I've got two gents helping me. They're really hard workers. Uh, they help me. They're there every morning at 6.30 helping me get ready for breakfast. And, yeah, they're wonderful workers. I have uh, wonderful staff helping me on Wednesday and uh, Friday and then in the summertime on Saturday. Um, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate. I'm, my employees hang around. I, I don't have a high turnover, thankfully. <laughs> That's good. So. It was very nice to have a waiter at breakfast. It was just very special, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've been talking with um, Deb Arndt from the Old Oak Inn in Soldiers Grove, and we've been wanting to get together for a long time and talk about the history of the Old Oak Inn and what they offer and her food ideas for for her guests. So, as you say, it sounds like this is a dream come true. It definitely has been a dream come true. Uh, like I mentioned, I've always dreamt of having a B&B. I never imagined in a million years it would end up being such a wonderful music venue and uh, event venue. Um, can I tell you some stories? You can. Okay. So when we closed on the house, my husband's best friend, uh, Jack Jarrett, helped us move in. And my sister was also there. She was very excited for me. Jennifer, my baby sister, Jennifer. And Jack and Jennifer met for the first time on the day we closed on the house. Jack and Jennifer fell in love. <laughs> Jack proposed to Jennifer at the Old Oak, and Jack and Jennifer got married at the Old Oak. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so that sweet. sweet. <laughs> We've had a, actually had a, another couple, too, and someone that you're very well, um, you know very well, Erica Guthrie and Scott. Scott right. proposed to Erica right in front of me in the Old Oak. <laughs> yep, and they got married at the Old Oak. So I don't know, for all you people who are looking for... Looking for love. Maybe the old oak is the place you need to go to. <laughs> what did you call it again? The heart of what? Mm, magic in the heart of the grove. Magic in the heart of the grove. Dylan Harris gave us that tagline. Oh. And I personally feel like it's very true. I know. I love the old barn in the back of the inn. I don't know who that uh, belongs to, but I that's, mean, I'll be That's sad actually if, part of the property. If that ever comes down, I would weep because it is just has the most beautiful feeling. You just go there, and it's so quiet. And it's hanging over this cliff that drops down in the Kickapoo mm -hmm. Valley. Yeah, it's uh, it's an old tobacco barn. It's part of the original property, so it's been around a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And I had never been in a tobacco barn, so some of the things that were in there, I was just used to animal barns and mm -hmm. hay barns. And so, uh, yeah, it was really interesting seeing the difference, uh, seeing the hinges on the siding. And the planks and oh, then yeah. they have the big um, poles that mm -hmm. people would walk the, I on. I could not understand what those poles, what, what the purpose of those poles were. <laughs> and then I talked to a few people who, you know, they raised tobacco in this area quite a bit. So um, yeah, right. It has a beautiful still feeling mm -hmm. when you go back there. So the old oak inn is located on the on a yes a high cliff overlooking the. Um, Kickapoo River outside of uh, Soldier's Grove and of course Soldier's Grove has been known for many floods but fortunately the old oak is up on the hill. Yep we're high enough up 
Yeah, and uh, that's that's also wreaked havoc on the uh, on the neighborhoods. In fact, really, the Roth House, which was the other house, um, it had been really afflicted by floods. I believe in 2018 that uh, the entire basement was flooded. Well, yes, I went down to the first floor. and worked there, and we were scraping mud off of the first floor. And oh, oh my gosh. I mean, when mud, comes, when mud comes into a beautiful old mm-hmm. home like that, it's just really sickening. It's just yeah, I know so many people. It's mm-hmm. It really is a travesty that that old home had to be damaged like that. But there's so many people that had so many other lives were devastated by those floods. And thankfully, the people in the community of Soldiers Grove and Gaze Mills are so amazing. You know, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm from Hillsboro, and Hillsboro is a very tight community as well. But living in this community is very very special the people are, are very kind and, and they welcome very you. welcoming that's really very nice much. that's mm-hmm. nice um do you know anything i don't want to put you on the spot but i mean about the roth house i i heard that those two houses they're both very good they were very grand homes the the biggest grandest homes in uh in Soldiers Grove, and I thought they were brothers or brothers-in-law or something that each built one of these houses. Do you know the story? Well, I'm only, this is just hearsay, but Mm -hmm. uh, Carol taught me that uh, Atlee Peterson owned the house down by the river, and so that was Ole Knudsen Hemley's brother-in-law, and apparently there was a big competition between the two, and I believe there was another individual who ended up eventually becoming the governor of Wisconsin. He was going to build a grander home yet. <laughs> but apparently he took those plans for that house and took it to Lake Mendota instead. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah they're both very stately and very beautiful. Um, so ceilings, the ceilings are taller in the old oak. There's three um, pocket doors at the old oak. So I think uh, having that extra 20 years the Roth House was built in the 1880s, I believe, and the Old Oak is built in the 1900. In 1900, so um, the story goes that Ole went down to his brother-in-law's house and was actually measuring, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that he had a bigger, better house than Atley did. Hmm. Um, I don't know how much truth there is to that, oh. but I've had some really wonderful experiences. I got to meet the great-great-granddaughter of uh, Oli and Betsy Himley, um, Mary Beth Desrochers um, contacted me just out of the blue, and we struck up a friendship uh, on the phone. And eventually I asked her if she'd like to come up and stay at her great-great-grandparents' house. So I drove down by Madison, picked her up, and had her spend the weekend with us, and we talked about... Um, the oral history and she brought some pictures up for me to take copies of and yeah I not only do I love the house but I I love the history behind it Um, it's been such it's an iconic house in Soldiers Grove with it being in the nursing home almost every single person who comes to the house has a story about the old oak whether it was that they worked there when they were in high school or they had a family member who was in the nursing home 
Or maybe they would come as a child and sing to the residents of the nursing home. So somebody, almost everyone has a story about the old oak. So that's right. It was a nursing home for a while, and I was I was here when it was a nursing home. And so what is the story of that? It had been originally a single-family home. Correct. And then it was converted to a nursing home? Yes. With... And I don't know the exact timeline. Um, hopefully somebody can reach out to me and let me know if they know for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's my understanding that in the 40s, after the last, um, after the Hamleys passed, uh, that it became a nursing home. And if you walk through the house, you can see uh, the remnants of the nursing home. So there's fire alarm poles, and the whole house has uh, a sprinkler system throughout. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's got a very interesting history. Well, it seems like when I first visited it um, as an inn, in, the bathrooms were down the hall. So and we, later, actually, a bathroom was put onto each bedroom, right? No. No? Well, how is it? When I, when I talk to our, our potential <clears throat> guests, the very first thing I let them know is that we do not have any ensuite bathrooms. So there are two full baths upstairs and four half baths downstairs. And uh, for some people, that's that's a deal breaker. And I completely understand that, which is why I'm up front in the beginning. It's a very, very old house. And I know that, you know, I don't ever foresee Homer and I changing that. And so um, it works for most people. Right. Um, there are a couple of... Uh old Victorian homes in Viroqua, too, that are bed and breakfast. And, and I think it's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you're going to stay in an old home like that, it probably is not, you know, something to be counted on that every every bedroom mm-hmm. would have its own bathroom. Well, just, when mm-hmm. I believe at the Roth House, I don't know if Carolyn House uh, changed those rooms up, but I think they have ensuite bathrooms at the house but boy but can you a, imagine to change that and yeah. put plumbing all the way yeah, through? that would take that would just... a, a very clever architect to make that happen at the old oak i don't know how they would do that but mm-hmm. i don't foresee that happening mm-hmm. with homer and i yeah mm-hmm. i mean we're busy and you know as things are is there a lot of maintenance to this old house as you can imagine <laughs> yep that this, it is this old house <laughs> yeah that it is well i am sure and i can feel that from you that the local people and, of course, the families and that had contact with those those homes are so happy that they are being continued and that they haven't been, you know, I don't know, devalued or something, but people are valuing them and using them and continuing the history of them right up to this day. One of the buyers that Carolyn Hollis had was an architectural salvage business owner. And as you could imagine... If he would have bought that house, it would have been disassembled and sold. And that was, the thought of that is just heartbreaking to me because there's um, so much love and so much history in that house. And I love the fact that we're now the, the keepers. That's wonderful. So thank you. On that note, I'm going to say goodbye to Deb. And thanks so much, Deb Arndt, for coming in and sharing with us your experience of the Old Oak Inn and really keeping it alive and doing more and more things. I'm just thrilled that you're in the area and I'm glad you're living out your dream. Thank you very much for the opportunity, finally. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 
And you've been listening to Who's in the Kitchen on WDRT, Community Radio, 91.9 FM. I'm Philothea Beeson, and I've been talking with Deb Art, and thanks so much for being on the show. And thank you to my listeners, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.